0: So we got nine of the country's top healthcare leaders from all sorts of different states and cities and and corners of the vaccination effort together on a Zoom call to talk about this unprecedented distribution that's going on. It looks like you've got your uh, your Zoom shot all nice and set up, Doctor On the Hall. So
1: <laughs> yes, after. Uh... Much feedback over the last several months.
0: (laughs) And what I learned is that, you know, while supply is definitely the pressure point right now. Even now, you know, everyone's complaining we don't have enough vaccines, but you kind of have to do what you can to keep going. Demand is the sort of simmering problem that they're all waiting for. And
1: when you say demand, you mean like getting enough people to take the vaccine.
0: Exactly, so right now we have people clamoring to get them and only a few million
2: uh, going
0: out and being administered each day, each week.
2: It was right after we got a half a million doses that we made the decision to open up to 65 and older. And then all of a sudden, doses disappeared in Tiberias. Right before week three, our allocations went to zero.
0: We're soon going to be flush with vaccines. I know that's hard to believe, but it will happen. (laughs) We have hundreds of millions coming in in the next few months, but then it becomes a problem of People who are skeptical of vaccination efforts, people who are hard to reach, who aren't part of the healthcare system, uh, who are distrustful of the healthcare system. They might not want it because they really think they're being uh, followed by a chip in their shoulder. I mean, one of my own staff in my previous clinic did not want it because she thinks it is being tracked by a, a chip. Those are going to be the last few people that we're really going to have to have thoughtful outreach plans for. And what goes into demand is going to increasingly have to do with racial and economic equity issues.
1: Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel, continuing our special series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm talking with Sarah Overmall about the lessons health officials across the country have learned over the past couple months of vaccinations and the challenges that lie ahead in the fight to end the pandemic.
0: So we're almost two months into this historic nationwide effort to vaccinate millions of people against the coronavirus since the first two vaccines were authorized in mid and late December. So it seemed like a really great time to pull together people from all different states and cities rural to urban, different populations to say what they have seen so far that has been working, what hasn't, how they are learning, what they are bracing for in the future, and then for them to compare notes with each other and say, this is what we think will work. This is what we know is going to be an issue. And then to say also what they need from the federal government as they look forward to their future challenges.
1: Who are the public officials who you talk to?
0: I'll go alphabetical on their names. Um, Ayn Amjad, Commissioner and State Health Officer for West Virginia. She was great to have because West Virginia managed to vaccinate all of its nursing home population in two weeks before some states even started on that very high priority group. We don't always have the manpower, the Epi teams. No one wants to come to West Virginia. The pay is low. Um, We lack resources sometimes, but. um, You make do with what you have. And then Then we also had Rachel Banks, director of the public health division in Oregon. And she really acknowledged how in the effort to be efficient early on, they maybe weren't as equitable and how they're trying to work on that now. So we were getting what some folks would say to the end of our 1A population and huge groups of of people weren't vaccinated. So we had to do really intentional planning and and build that into the structure. We had Dave Chotsky, health commissioner of the city of New York, who had similar concerns to Rachel. Uh, Sharif Al-Nahal, president and CEO of the University Hospital of Newark in New Jersey, which deals with some of the same issues that New York City does, being a uh, very highly populated and diverse city.
1: There was never going to be enough vaccine available for all sorts of categories that states are allowing right now.
0: We had Greg Holzman, state medical officer of Montana. I I do
1: like to put it into perspective. January 21st last year was the first time a case was known in the United States and that we have vaccines now. I can't tell you that every single day I am frustrated and my hair is getting grayer, but I always have to stop and look back and think about. Wow, we, we actually have done a lot and a lot We
0: had Jared Moskowitz, director of the Division of Emergency Management in Florida. They have also dealt with some early equity issues and he talked about how they figured out how to actually get into communities of color and
2: underserved neighborhoods. So what we've done here in the state of Florida is I've taken the technology out of it. We've partnered with faith-based institutions. We've done 50 locations with churches uh, in, in the Haitian community, the black community, uh, Caribbean community, Uh, the Puerto Rican community, um, the Cuban community. And what we're finding is those are tremendously successful. I don't have... We had
0: Marcus Plesha, chief medical officer of the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. Then there was Angela Rasmussen, a virologist at Georgetown University Medical Center. And finally, we had Ray Vora, the interim health officer for Fresno County in California, which was an interesting one because it does have a very rural mix there. And what he's been doing to talk to his community has also been really interesting.
1: That is... A lot of people. That's sort of like uh, <laughs> bringing back memories of, of trying to talk to a bunch of people during Thanksgiving. <laughs>
0: it, it, it felt like that. And also, uh, man, does an hour go by fast when you have that many people talking about their experiences. But it was great. We, I, I learned so much from them.
1: Well, what did you learn about the vaccine process so far? Like if you had to break it down, what's gone right from their perspective and what's gone wrong?
0: I think what all of these officials would say has gone right is that they have rolled these vaccines out with unprecedented speed, whether that's been setting up mass vaccination sites or working with community pharmacies and pharmacy chains, that they are pretty proud of where they've gone so far. Uh, But they've also noticed along the way how they can be doing things better and they can see already how this is changing. So, for instance, the first few priority groups were healthcare workers, frontline workers and people in nursing homes uh, and long term care facilities. If you think about those populations, that's a pretty captive audience. People who work in healthcare centers and frontline workers, you know where they work. um, And they have a pretty big incentive to want to get a vaccine with long-term care facilities. It's the same thing. You know where they are. You may have to convince them more, but that's sort of a, a captive group to be talking to and doing outreach to. All of the people who spoke on these marathon Zoom calls acknowledged that it could very well get harder from here. There will be rural populations that are hard to get to, homebound people where you have to bring the vaccine to them, skepticism among groups that have been historically mistreated by or mistrustful of the healthcare establishment, and then all these conspiracy theories that abound anyway on the internet. We had already vaccine hesitancy issues in the U.S. before the coronavirus vaccine, but now adding on to this political rhetoric over this past year that has harmed a lot of people's confidence in what has been a record-breaking development of vaccines.
1: You mentioned that from talking with all these people, one of your big takeaways is that the problem is going to shift from not enough vaccines to not enough people who want them. Do you think that's actually a near future we might be looking at here, like where things are totally reversed and we have a bunch of vaccines and no one who's willing to take them?
0: Yes, I do. I I actually think that that is a possible scenario because if you think about it, just the two manufacturers that are already authorized, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, have each promised to supply 300 million uh, doses to the US. So that's enough for for the vast majority of Americans. Then we've got a few more coming down the pipeline. Johnson & Johnson is going to be up for FDA review this month. They could be authorized very soon. Uh, We could have very feasibly have piles of vaccines and people who don't want them. I don't think that will be right away. I think in March and April, we'll still be in the same environment where you and I and and average people will be saying, hey, when can I get mine? But then as you start to get more of the population, it's kind of like that final stretch where we're going to see that we aren't getting people where maybe we get to 80 percent and we just can't break 80 percent. I could see that happening.
1: How much of a problem could that really be? Like if you're someone who's thinking about all of this from a super individual or super personal perspective and you're vaccinated along with, say, 80 percent of the population, but 20 percent of the population doesn't want to be, why should you care? Like, is that a problem for you at the end of the day?
0: Well, if we get to 80 percent, we are in a very good position in terms of uh, immunizing people that are vulnerable. The only problem is that with these variants, we are learning that the coronavirus can be very adaptable and that way we, we might realistically need more shots in the future. You and I could get the shot and still need a booster later on. And these variants adapt and grow by being spread. And so if 20% of the population isn't getting the vaccine, they could still be sp- passing around these variants that continue to evolve and make it harder for the people who already did get vaccinated to stay protected. That is one concern. Also, the concern there always is with vaccine hesitancy, whether coronavirus or not, is that if too many people say, well, everybody else is getting it, then there's just too big of a hole. We have to have a sense of, you know, personal responsibility. And that's something that happens a lot. You see that in small clusters when, say, there are communities in california that don't vaccinate their children against mumps and then a certain amount of children are not vaccinated because they assume the rest of the community is and then there's a mumps outbreak um so i think those would be the major concerns and that's why the final stretch is going to be really difficult but these local and city leaders are already thinking about what those challenges are going to be and they are hoping and and saying at least in those zoom calls that they that they hope the federal government is thinking that way too
1: have they seen anything that's worked so far to reach populations that might be more difficult?
0: Well, I would say that um, one thing that they acknowledged on the call is that they do need to bring it off the web to a certain extent, that they need to have offline conversations with community leaders, with people who don't have easy access to the internet, um, and with people who can't easily get to say like a max vaccination site.
2: Everybody went digital appointments or or appointments via a 1-800 number. And what I'm finding in my state uh, is that when you go digital, pe- people will drive hours into a neighborhood if they can get that appointment. And that, that is what's happening. My largest site is in a is in a neighborhood called Miami Gardens, the city of Miami Gardens, a minority city in, in Dade County, over 100,000 people live in that city. Uh, and 95% of the people getting appointments there are white. Uh, they're not from Miami Gardens. And that, that site's doing over 1,000 shots a day.
0: So I think that one thing that they definitely have all agreed on is that community leaders really, really matter. What
1: I would say is that the folks who have built loyalty and trust in the community for decades need to be engaged.
0: And they've Um, said that they've had a lot of good feedback from faith leaders and from community organizations, reverends like offering to get this live on Facebook to show their communities that this is safe and good. Um, And that's going to matter a lot more than I think people realize. One of the people on the call, Marcus Plesha was saying that 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 endorsement from someone you trust is better than any sort of PSA on on television.
1: Hmm. What about uh, where vaccinations are actually done? Like, I know the Biden administration is helping coordinate mass vaccination sites, places like football stadiums. Is that an effective way of making sure everybody gets a shot?
0: Well, that's the interesting thing that came up repeatedly in this conversation. Yes, mass vaccination sites can quickly vaccinate many, many people, but then it becomes a question of who are those people getting to those sites. Marcus Plesha, the chief medical officer of the Association of State and Territorial Health Agencies said that this is a common problem when you prioritize efficiency because equity doesn't always follow. You know,
2: efficiency doesn't really generally lead to a lot of equity. It's kind of a first come first serve and we know who tends to do best in those situations. But that's, you know, if that's the way we want to go as a nation, that's fine. If it's not, then we're going to have to be a little more patient. But being equitable and really trying to be judicious and vaccinate some of the groups that it makes the most sense to get to first, I mean, that's going to be a little bit slower.
0: And so that's why we've seen, even in federal data, that white women are outpacing any other group of people for getting vaccines so far. It follows that if you are your own best advocate in these things that people who don't have the same resources won't be able to get this vaccine at the same time as you. So I'd say actually uh, mass vaccination sites have been the thing lately, but that all of these leaders we talked to on the call are looking at ways to move it to community sites, to um, trusted healthcare providers, and taking it kind of to where someone works, where someone lives, or the community network that they have, like, say, a church or a mosque or something like that. —
1: Talking to all of these people, getting a sense of what's gone right, what's gone wrong, and, you know, what needs to happen to get everyone vaccinated, would you say you have come out of this all more hopeful about the vaccination effort or more pessimistic about where it's headed and the barriers ahead? —
0: I would actually say more hopeful. when everyone was talking, they were acknowledging mistakes and things that they need to do better, but that was gratifying to hear because it says that they're looking right now at their problems and fixing as they go and acknowledging that the effort is changing under their feet, that, you know, we're evolving into these new methods that are going to be used Uh, creative ways to solve this. The only thing that would worry me is that they did acknowledge that there's going to be some really complex messaging that will be happening in the future because of different vaccines that are coming that are quite varied compared to the Moderna and Pfizer ones already authorized, and because of the COVID variants that have emerged and how they will talk to people about what that does and if vaccines are still effective in that realm. Those seem like the big challenges coming up that I worry about.
1: I know I do this every time we talk, um, ask you about the timeline, but I'm curious like what you think now about the timeline at this moment, because at this point we basically know how effective all the vaccines are in, in some way or another, right? Like we're getting a real time look at how smoothly the vaccination process is going, what's going right and what's going wrong. If you had to predict when, you know, we're all vaccinated and on the path to hopefully normal life, when is that?
0: Well, um, I defer to what President Joe Biden and his officials have been saying, that we should have vaccines available for everyone who wants them by July. Um, that does seem doable because of the amount of supplies that are coming in. Now the key is just getting those into arms, especially for people who are hesitant. So the key of his promises for everyone who wants them, the question now is, does everybody want them? Um, But I would say that by July or August, we could really start to see some actual progress and and some return to normalcy. And, And another really important part of that, that we have already seen begin to play out, is that confidence is rising as more people get the vaccine. So you didn't originally have a lot of frontline workers or nursing home staff getting the vaccine in the first run. But these state and city leaders were saying that as it's gone on, they are seeing those people wanting the shots. And that's really gratifying to hear. And that could go a long way towards actually hitting that like late summer goal of actually a lot of us are safe now.
1: All right, that is our show for this week. Big thanks to Sarah Overmall for joining me. She reported this piece and had that big conversation with state health leaders as part of a new Politico series launching today called Recovery Lab, which looks at the smartest new ideas emerging across the country for combating the COVID pandemic and the shocks it's sent through our economy and our society. Be sure to check it out on our website, Politico.com. Pulse Check's senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you again next week.